Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Are you ready for a rate rise? The Bank of England appears to have pushed back the inevitable, but we consider how investors, savers and borrowers should change strategy as the low interest rate era draws to a close. Plus, the gold bugs are jittering with glee this week as the yellow metal rises, but will this feeling last? And for the more adventurous investor, we examine whether the prospects for Chinese funds could be sweet or sour. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues Jonathan Ely, Henry Sanderson and Naomi Rovnik. The Bank of England surprised the markets last week with an unexpectedly cautious tone on interest rate rises, which now look unlikely to happen until next year, despite the strengthening UK economy. In this week's FT Money, our cover feature will ask if now is the time to remortgage your house, take out a loan for a new car, or maybe switch from bonds into equities. But for some people, a rate rise can't happen soon enough. I'm joined in the FT studio by Jonathan Ely, now a Lex columnist for the FT and my esteemed predecessor on FT Money. Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us today. In this weekend's Serious Money column, you're sounding increasingly impatient that rates haven't risen yet. Why is this? Well, first of all, uh, let me get my excuses out of the way. There are very many good reasons why rates have not uh, risen yet. Uh, The experience of Scandinavian banks, for instance, uh, where they raised rates too early and then had to cut them again. Uh, Economic growth in the UK has been uh, uneven. You've seen that in the wage data today. Um, We are very close to deflation and uh, China's devaluation will probably push us a little bit closer to that. And of course, raising interest rates uh, would increase the UK's debt service costs. And then there are all these external factors like uh, Greece nearly going bust for the third time and so on. But I I do feel that... um, When the Bank of England cut interest rates to 0.5% in March 2009, it did so partly to unfreeze the financial system and encourage companies to continue investing, uh, especially for the long term. But it also did it to send a message uh, that that the the authorities stood behind the financial system. In fact, all central banks uh, did that. Mm. And I now think it's, it's... kind of time to send the reverse message, uh, which is that the the era of sort of ludicrously cheap money is coming to an end and that that people should understand that it's coming to an end. Now, one of the points that you've made in your column is that this sustained period of low interest rates is actually distorting um, investment decisions that people are making. How do you mean? Well, if the, um, if the, 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 the base rate of the Bank of England sets also affects a host of other sort of assets, notably um, 
gilts, uh, government bonds, and the yields on those are very, very low. Yeah. Um, partly because bank rates are low, and partly because people are seeking out sort of safe haven assets. When the risk-free rate, as it's known, is so low, that means that people are pushed into all sorts of other assets that are riskier for them uh, in order to make uh, the same return that they may may once have got through simply mm. investing in a savings account. So if you think about the growth of, for instance, peer-to-peer lending uh, or the growth in uh, buy-to-let investing or even the, the sort of growth in uh, in bond and equity funds, a lot of that is driven by this kind of search for yield and search for investment returns, all of which is, is based on the fact that headline interest rates are so low and have been so low for so long. And from a corporate perspective, as a, as a Lex riser, how are rock bottom rates harming company balance sheets? Well, what's, um, what you're seeing a lot of companies doing is uh, that, that low rates were designed to encourage investment by companies. And there is some investment going on, make no mistake. But uh, there's also a lot of, sort of financial engineering going on. So debt is ridiculously cheap at the moment. If you're, a, if you're a solvent corporate borrower, you can raise money in the bond markets at very, very low levels. And what a lot of companies, particularly in the US, are doing is they're just borrowing lots of money and using it to buy back their own shares. That's not investment at all. It's not creating any productive capacity. A rise in interest rates would focus minds a bit more on the long term. And you're also going to put forward the argument that when interest rates do rise, it will have more of an emotional impact than an economic one. Yes, I mean, we're sort of wandering into the realms of uh, behavioural finance here. So uh, people tend to um, attach more importance to recent events than to the sort of long sweep of history, if you like. And uh, you have to remember that interest rates have not risen in the UK since July 2007, which is around about when the iPhone was launched. If you think about how (laughs) long ago that feels, uh, that is the last time interest rates went up. There are a whole generation of uh, sort of mortgage borrowers and consumers who cannot remember what it's like when interest rates rose. Uh, And I think that even a sort of a small rise. It doesn't have to be 0.25%. The Bank of England could easily raise rates by 0.1%, for instance, would send the message that that, uh, that the trajectory is now more like, is, is going to be up. I mean, the Bank of England has been talking it up for a long time, but I think mm. actually doing it would send a would send a powerful message. Now, would this tip uh, vast sections of the economy uh, into turmoil? Well, somehow I don't think so. And, uh, you know, Martin Wheel, one of the voting members of the MPC, has has raised that point. You know, how many businesses are there in Britain uh, that are perfectly viable with a 0.5% base rate but would go to the wall if it were 0.75? Probably not that many. Well, all very interesting questions to consider. And once again, if you're wondering about what you should do before interest rates go up, do read the cover feature on FT Money uh, this week, which looks at all of the options available to you. Thanks very much, Jonathan Ely. Still to come on the show, if you're tempted to tuck into some cut price Chinese funds, don't pick up your chopsticks until you've heard what our markets expert Naomi Rovnik has to say. Before that, we examine the changing fortunes of another apparently lacklustre investment, gold. I'm joined by the FT's commodities correspondent Henry Sanderson who's writing for us this week about the outlook for the gold price and best ways for investors to potentially buy in. So Henry, for the benefit of the uninitiated, what's been happening to the gold price this year? Well gold this year has really been pretty unexciting um, until this week. Um, Gold, which is traditionally seen as a safe haven Mm. asset, totally failed to respond to all the uncertainty over Greece and the deadlines and the missed deadlines. Um, it didn't really do do anything. So it's sort of been trading range bound this year, which has surprised a lot of people. 
um, given you know the Greece uh, talks. Um, and then in July, um, uh, during the middle of the night um, in the UK, uh, gold fell you know very sharply overnight. And 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 this uh, people say was due to trading out of China, but basically gold hit a number of different levels that just kept pushing it down. And uh, people noticed that this was possible because there hasn't actually been that much trading in the market this year because it's been so lackluster. And retail investors have pulled their money out of gold um, ETFs. So why is it rising now? Well, I think it's a number of reasons. I think China's um, devaluation of the yuan did did shock a lot of people. Um, It's the biggest devaluation since the mid-90s. And that I mean, in market parlance, leads to a sort of risk-off uh, trade. Mm. Um, and gold always benefits um, in these kind of conditions. And I think it's sort of shocked a lot of people into thinking the state of the Chinese economy is um, even worse. And secondly, that this is going to be the start of uh, you know worse uh, currency wars. So I think people are thinking, oh, it's time to buy a, a safe haven asset um, on the one hand. But they're also sort of thinking, oh, this might cause the Fed to delay its rate rise uh, for longer. Yeah, because of course, um, a a big question for gold bugs or wannabe gold bugs to ask is, is this rise that we've seen in the last few days merely a flash in the pan? Yeah, it does seem most analysts do think it is is a flash in the pan because um, there just aren't the sort of forces to help gold. Um, Number one being Chinese investors. China's the biggest consumer and producer of gold. And they haven't come in um, this time round while gold's prices has fallen like they did um, 2013. Mm. So without that uh, physical demand, it's going to be hard to to push gold up. And then retail investors, large retail and institutional investors have been selling the ETFs. So there isn't really demand uh, for gold. And OK, the Fed might postpone, but it's, it's you know still going to raise rates um, eventually. And that's going to be bad for gold. And are you seeing any evidence um, that retail investors are now ready to take a chance on the yellow metal once more? Yeah, so, I mean, you've seen ETF holdings fall um, you know, through mutual funds and, and institutional investors, but you have seen on the very small retail end, you know, maybe £10,000 less, um, those investors apparently ha- have been buying this year on, on, on sites such as Bullion Vault, um, other retail websites. So I think at that very low end, there has been a sense of uh, wanting an asset, a safe haven asset, um, given all that's going on. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. That was Henry Sarnison, the FT's commodities correspondent. But before our final item, a reminder that you can read this week's FT money as part of Weekend FT, which is widely available both on Saturday and Sunday, or read online, ft.com slash money, and follow us on Twitter, at FT Money. But now we head to China. Stock markets in Shanghai have been on a roller coaster ride, followed by the devaluation in the currency this week. But prices of investment funds specialising in China have also come off. Now, these were massively popular with private investors keen to gain exposure to emerging markets many years ago. But is the risk now that they are submerging? I'm joined by Naomi Rovnik, who is a reporter for Fast FT in London. Naomi, welcome to the show. Tell us what's been happening in China in recent months. Um, Two things have really been unwinding. One is investors' confidence in China. And two is the um, government's um, prioritising of high economic growth over financial risk. So what the Beijing government appears to be doing now is allowing a lot of debt and leverage to come back out of the Chinese economy. That's slowing growth. Um, Another way to look at the currency devaluation is that they want to promote exports, which is probably a healthier way of running your economy than what had previously been happening, which was 
um, encouraging strongly banks to lend to companies to build infrastructure projects that often had, there was no need for these and they don't have the cash flows to um, pay off the interest on their debts. Um, that can create growth in the short term, but the, the newish regime under President Xi Jinping is, um, I think, de-risking the economy whilst possibly devaluing the currency. We don't know why they haven't told us, but um, possibly devaluing the currency to promote exports, which at least is, is real growth. A more, a more sustainable path for China going forward. Now, we know that the stock market has suffered and obviously the currency um, has just been devalued. But what about the performance of funds that retail investors can buy into? Are they starting to look cheap? I mean, your classic value investor would look at something like Fidelity's China Special Situations Trust, which mm. was launched by now retired star manager Anthony Bolton. Yeah, who I mean, handed, this was the fund. This was the fund. Ago. This was two beautiful things colliding, Chinese growth and Anthony Bolton, and everybody rushed <laughs> to get a part of it. Um, now Anthony's gone and China's growth has rather slowed to a still not not bad 7%. Um, but what we've got now is Antony's old trust now run by a young Australian, Dale Nichols, um, trading at a 20.5% discount to the value of the stocks that it holds. So if you mm. want to buy, for example, I mean, this isn't its only holding, but one of its big holdings is Tencent, a Chinese internet company, which um, rivals Alibaba in that space. Tencent this morning reported a 97% increase in online advertising revenues. Tencent, unlike a lot of social media companies in the US, makes a lot of money. Now, if you want to buy Tencent for 20.5% less than its actual stock price, one way to do it is through an investment trust, which is trading at this discount. So say Tencent's worth 100. If you want to buy it through Fidelity, you can get it for 80. Of course, you then have to look at all the rest of, of their course. holdings. And the risk here is that the reason... Anything trades at a discount to book value, be it a property company or a bank or an investment trust, is because investors are guessing that that book value in the future is going to be lower. So it could be a huge bargain or it could be a way of the market saying this is going to get worse. Well, you go into um, the performance of several different funds in your article in FT Money this weekend. But before people um, actually read into the detail, tell us in essence, would retail investors have to be crazy to even consider buying exposure to China right now? The economy is still growing at 7%. There's going to be a lot of bumps in the road as China tries, however successfully, to reform itself. China has a huge paradox at the centre of things, which is that while the government on one hand wants to liberalise and have a market-based economy, this is still very much a control and command socialist economy. They may not have any other way to promote growth than bank lending to infrastructure, which is something the government can control. That that model has completely run out of steam. So your Uber bears say, well, they can't do anything else and retain power. If you educate people more, if you give them more um, freedoms, more access to outside internet, that could create economic growth for the future. But it could also make people less willing to um, to be ruled by a party that they didn't vote for. And Henry... While we've got you in the studio, I mean, you've um, covered China um, in the past, now you're in the commodities business. Tell us, what are the key takeaways for you, if it's not too much of a dreadful pun, um, from what we've been seeing in the um, Chinese markets in recent weeks? Yeah, so I think the devaluation, obviously, um, you know, there's a couple of things. They, I think you said they wanted to boost exports and mm. also uh, make it more market-oriented to meet the IMF's uh, criteria to be included in the SDR. Um, but I think it remains to be seen how much control they're going to give up on, on the renminbi, how much they're going to let it be decided by the market. And I think if they do, then we could be in for further further weakness. 
So more volatility potentially lying ahead. Well, thanks very much to um, Henry again and to Naomi Rovnik, reporter on Fast FT. Now, we'd love to know about your appetite for Chinese funds, investing in gold or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch via email. Our address is money at ft.com or you can tweet us at ftmoney. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com slash money. There is just time to tell you what else is in this week's edition. Our stateside investment guru, Ken Fisher, gets his teeth into the meaty issue of dividends. And as usual, we have share tips from our sister publication, The Investor's Chronicle, and the latest director's deals. Next week, there'll be a special edition of the FT Money Show on the future of retirement, which looks at how much you need to save and the best way to achieve this. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Jonathan, Henry and Naomi. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. 